So this morning, we're going to be picking back up a sermon series that we started last year. If you were here, about the exact same time last year in June, we started into Exodus chapter 1, and we took all the way from the beginning of June to the end of October to slowly and methodically make our way chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through chapters 1 through 14, finished in the greatest story in the entire Old Testament, and we stopped, and we're picking it back up. So this morning, we're beginning of June, we're starting today in Exodus 15, and we're going to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and work our way all the way through chapter 24, and it's going to take us all the way to October again as we dig in. And some of you are going, yes. Some of you are going, no. Just trust me. God is going to speak because his word has power, and we want you to see the power of his word as we just dig into what it has to say. And so uh, I want to go ahead and let you know, though, a little secret. I do have a, a plan, a little master plan behind all this. If you've been here in the church for like a decade, then you know that we started in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, and we took a few years and we just worked our way through the entire book of Genesis and now Exodus. Here's my secret plan. We're going to keep coming back to Exodus until we finish, and then we're going to move on to Leviticus, and then we're going to move on to Numbers, and then we're going to move on to Deuteronomy, and we're going to finish what's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And I, I intend to do this before Christ returns or before I retire. Those are... Between one of those two, that's my goal. So now you know that's what I'm after. It's probably going to take that long to get through it if we really want to discover the truth. So we're going to go jump in right now. Exodus chapter 15, go ahead and open your Bible. We're going to be in verse 1. Now before you start reading, though, in that passage, i got to set it up. And here's something I've learned over time. Uh, there are more and more people who haven't been taught the stories of the Bible yet. And so I can't just assume you know what's taking place in chapters 1 through 14. So I'm going to give you like a super fast version of this so that you know what, what's happening in the story before we start reading in Exodus 15. So you have the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 1, and their Hebrew people are slaves in Egypt. And uh, Pharaoh is scared of them because there's so many, so he determines to kill all the firstborn to try to lower their numbers. Well, Moses is born during that time. But in this crazy turn of events, instead of him being killed by Pharaoh, he actually grows up in Pharaoh's household by a divine miracle of God. And for 40 years, he lives in Pharaoh's household until at the age of 40, he kills an Egyptian. And Pharaoh finds out and determines to kill him. So Moses has to flee and he wanders off in the wilderness for another 40 years until he's 80 years old. And he comes up to a burning bush and God tells him, I'm sending you back to Egypt to free my people. And so Moses, after a little struggle, obeys, goes back to Egypt. And there in the land of Egypt, he comes before Pharaoh and he says, let my people go so we can go worship our God. Pharaoh absolutely refuses. And so God, in his power, sends 10 plagues, one after the other, to chip away at Pharaoh's resolve until finally after the 10th plague, he broke down and said, take your people, Moses, you can go. And so they head off and they're marching to freedom. And then Pharaoh sees them, changes his mind and says, what have I done? And goes coming, he goes tearing after them because he's going to bring them back to make them his slaves. And so they come to the moment where the, the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel, is pinned against the Red Sea, and they see the armies of Egypt coming against them. Now, this, this is the most advanced military in the known world at the time, and these are just some freshly freed slaves who have nothing, and they're scared to death. God does a great miracle. Moses raises the staff. The, potter, the waters divide. They part through, and he, the nation of Israel passes through. When they go through, Egypt comes after them. The waters go about, uh, upon them, and now here they are on the seashore. And they're seeing the defeated enemy. And that's when we get to chapter 15. And do you know what they do? They burst out into song. 
Did you know the Bible is a musical? I'm not, I'm not joking. Like, legitimately, it's, you know, you're watching a movie, it's a musical, and they burst out in a song at weird times. That's exactly what happens here. They've gone through the Red Sea, they get to the other side, waters return, and literally, they burst out in a woohoo. Like, they just start singing songs and they're declaring the greatness of God. They burst into musical number on the other side of the sea, into what's called the Song of Moses. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. His song, the first song in the entire Bible that we have is right here. Exodus 15, the first time they break out into song in this musical. I want you to read it, and it's going to be verses 1 through 5 to start off. And and I'll explain why I stop it there in a moment. But here's what Moses says, chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. Now, I'm going to pause there because you'll notice a change in person uh, as we move into verse 6. But right now, it's in third person. He's talking about God. And what he's basically saying is, God, I've got to burst into song because of your greatness. You are so great and mighty, all we can do is sing about you. Here's something you need to know. This This is supremely important to understand human nature. When we see greatness, we can't help it. We've got to celebrate it. Something's going to come up in some form or fashion that will celebrate greatness. I remember, this is one of my favorite memories. I was living in Argentina. I was a journeyman with that program with the IMB, and I was there for two years. And I was going to a national game of Argentina against Uruguay, which is right across the river. This is a huge rivalry between these two teams. And I'm sitting with all my Argentine friends. We all have our Argentine jerseys on, and we're there watching the game. And like a lot of soccer games, it's like zero to zero for the vast majority of the game. And then you get to the end, and there's this guy, his name was Batistuta, he's an incredible soccer player, and he's weaving through all these people, and he comes around and shoots this goal that was just phenomenal. And literally, in one second, every Argentine male around me lifted their shirt off with one hand and was swinging it in the air like this. And they were all going, ole, 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 and they were just all together. The place just jumped. You could feel the stadium going up and down, up and down. For five minutes, I'm trying to get my dumb jersey off. I can't do it. I'm like, how did y'all do that? One, whoo, whoo, whoo. By the time I got my jersey off, everybody had their jersey back on. They're watching the game again. It's all over. I missed the moment. But I just saw, like, they saw greatness. They saw Batistuta score that goal. They saw Argentina go up to beat your They saw everything. They, they couldn't help it. They just had to jump up and down and sing because of the greatness they saw. They celebrated, and let me promise you, it was a celebration. That's what you do when you see greatness. You celebrate. It's, it's all sports are like that. If, if any of you have any kind of sporting event and you see greatness, you, everyone's going to erupt in applause. Now, it's, it's interesting, though. It's, it's not just in sports. This happens all over the place. Now, a month or two ago at AT&T Stadium, there were a bunch of uh, teenage girls jumping up and down for like four straight hours singing until they got hoarse because Taylor Swift was over there singing. And they saw something they deemed as greatness, And so they were singing their little hearts out. They were celebrating what they deemed as great. It happens. You know, every single Sunday we have a baptism and somebody goes into this water and they get baptized. The whole room, whoever's here, erupts in applause. And there's a reason why. They've seen greatness. 
They've seen somebody declare their faith in Christ, their eternity changed. They can't help it. I don't have to tell them now's the time to applaud. They just do it because they've seen greatness. And you can't help it. When you see greatness, you just got to respond. Well, it's no different with God. When you see the greatness of God, you got to respond. And the level of your response is, is dictated by the level of the greatness of what you've seen. The greater the great, the greater the response. And we've seen the greatest of greats, almighty God. And what can we do but worship him? I, I love the way he calls his, in verse three and four, he talks about him being a man of war. He's a warrior. We sing a song from time to time called Mighty Warrior. That's who our God is. But what I love is how he talks about him in verse two. In verse two, he uses a specific word that you, you might miss because of the way it's translated in English. He talks about the Lord being strength in a song and salvation. And then he says, this is my God and I will praise him. Now, when it says I will praise him, it, it sounds like I'll sing to him or I'll say something great about him. But in Hebrew, the literal verb that's used is I will adorn him or I will decorate him. It's the idea of a warrior, a soldier who's been decorated for valor, for something he's done in battle, a decorated soldier. That's the idea. He's saying we have a mighty warrior and he is a decorated hero. He fights every battle and he never loses. And therefore he is great and greatly to be praised. He is worthy of our worship. And, and Moses didn't want to leave us wondering why. In verses 6 through 12 of Exodus 15, he actually tells us specifically what the greatness of God is. And this matters to God. God loves specificity. When you declare his greatness like, yes, you're great, God, that's one thing. But when you start articulating how God is great, that blesses his heart. And that's what Moses does in verses 6 through 12. So let's keep on reading. Exodus 15, picking back up in verse 6. Now, I want you to notice that the person, the, the person will change from third person to second person. He'll say, your right hand. And from here on out, it's going to be in second person. He's talking to God. He's serenading God at this point. Verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop there for a moment because I want you to, to really know what Moses is talking about. So this is a very poetic description of what took place in chapter 14. He's using poetry like a blast of the nostrils and your mighty wind and all that kind of stuff to really explain the miracle they saw in chapter 14. But instead of me just describing it, I thought it would be smarter just to go back and read for ourselves what it said in chapter 14, verses 21 to 31. It's a pretty lengthy passage of scripture, but this is the most important event in the Old Testament, so we should probably examine it closely. So before I read in Exodus 14, 21, let, let me go ahead and, and remind you what's taken place. I mentioned it already. So they have, they've been set free. They're now pinned against the Red Sea. And they are scared to death because here comes this mighty army with their chariots and their horsemen and the trained warriors. And here they are. They've got no swords. They've got no chariots. And they know they're sunk. And they are shaking in their boots. They don't know what to do until God says, Moses, 
Lift up your staff. Let me show you what I can do. And that's where you get to verse 21. Here's what it says. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights, fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. That right there, greatest event in the entire Old Testament, defined the Jewish nation. This one moment. I mean, could you imagine just walking through the water and seeing a wall of water on your right hand and on your left because the wind is just blowing it up, supernatural, inexplicable, and here they are crossing it over. They get to the other side. They see the Egyptians coming, and they might begin to be afraid until they see the waters crash over them. The Egyptians are done away with, and here they stand on the seashore. All their fears killed. Nothing left to fear. They are genuinely free, and that's when they burst into song. They've seen the greatness of their God, and all they could do was worship him. Because that's the only right response to greatness. And Moses is saying, we've got to sing to him. We've got to praise him. In fact, the whole message of his song is, is encapsulated in one verse. If you were to go to verse 11, go back to chapter 15, go to verse 11. It's right in here that you get the heart of the song of Moses. After seeing this great event, listen to what he declares in the song. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who is like you, O God? If you don't know the answer to that, it's pretty obvious. No one. No one is like the Lord our God. No one can compete with him and compare with him. He says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Now, here's what you got to remember. I taught you this last year as we went through the ten plagues. But every one of the plagues was designed to attack a certain Egyptian deity. Some, some of their false gods to show Yahweh is greater than any Egyptian god. So when he says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods, he's showing that Yahweh has whooped every single one of their tails. No one is like him. No principality, no person, no power, no thing, nothing compares with our God. And what Moses is telling them is all you got to do is trust him. All you got to do is trust him. No one is like our God. And that's actually what he was telling them back in chapter 14. It, it, there was a moment, remember, they're, they're pinned against this wall and they're scared to death because they have coming against them the, the mightiest military in the world. 
the, the Egyptians, you've got to understand how this would be. This would be like uh, a, a brand new like Boy Scout group trying to play capture the flag at night with some like Navy SEALs who have all their night gear. Like, they're just not going to win, right? This, it's an unfair thing here. So the, this Egyptian army, this is the Navy SEALs, the mightiest army. They have their gear, their military, their might, and these are a bunch of freed slaves with nothing. It's like me having a spoon. Like, okay, I want to try to fight you with a spoon. Like, they, they couldn't do anything. They were overwhelmed. And it's in that moment that Moses gives them remarkable advice. I want, I want to go back and reread it because this is so important for you to understand what faith looks like. So we're going back to chapter 14. We're reading verses 13 and 14. Here they are, scared to death, coming against these Navy SEALs with nothing to show for it. And here's what Moses says to them in chapter 14, verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Man, that gets me worked up right there, that truth. You don't have to be afraid. Fear not, stand firm, and watch what your God can do. All you got to do is put the battle in his hands. That's the truth that he gave them. And that, he's saying, you have a decorated warrior who can fight every single one of your battles. You just got to put the battle into his hands. You got to trust in what he can do. Because he says, who is like our God? Glorious in power. Which, which God is like our God? Who can compare to him? Put the battle in his hands. He can handle it. That was great advice for them. Let me go ahead and tell you, it's even better advice for us today. I, I, don't, I don't know what you're going through. I have no idea. Very few of you. Can I possibly know the struggles that you're coming against? But here's thing, one thing I'm for certain of. There are some of you here, and you're either watching online, you're in the room, and you are overwhelmed by some circumstances in your life. You feel like the nation of Israel. Here's the Red Sea. You're pinned against. You're trapped. The army's coming. You got no way out, and you're absolutely overwhelmed. Maybe, maybe for some of you, you've been in a financial crunch for so long you are so over your head in debt. You have no idea how you're going to make it. You can't earn enough money to get out of it. You don't know what's going to happen, but you feel utterly trapped, and you don't know what to do. Some of you are in a marriage that you're going, and to be a good Christian, I know I need to keep this thing going, but I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed. They're never going to change. I can't seem to change, and I don't know what's going to happen with this marriage. Some of you are addicted in ways that you desperately want to be set free, but you keep going right back to that drink. You keep going right back to that substance. You keep going right back to that website. You know you shouldn't. You hate yourself for it, but you, you can't seem to overcome it, and you feel pinned and trapped and overwhelmed. Some of you, you're, you just got the worst news of your life. It's cancer, and it's aggressive. Or maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it's somebody you love, and they're going, we don't, we don't have a cure right now, and you feel completely overwhelmed, pinned against the Red Sea with the whole world coming against you and you're going, I don't know what to do with this. Here's what I want to tell you. Moses' advice is still true today. Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of your God. But this battle isn't yours to fight. It's the Lord's to fight. You just got to let him fight it. I want to challenge you to do what Moses was telling them to do in Exodus 14. Like it's really easy to praise God in Exodus 15. When you're on the other side of the sea and your enemy's buried and dead, you've seen the power of God. Sure, it's easy to go, praise you, Jesus. 
But when you're still in Exodus 14 and you're pinned and Moses is going, fear not, stand firm, you're going, shut up, Moses. What are we going to do here? But that's the moment I want you to praise God. When you don't yet have an answer, because here's why. Our God's light shines brightest when things get their darkest. You have the opportunity to see the miracles of Almighty God in that hard moment. And so before you even see the resolution, I want you to praise God. Look, some of you, that's going to be really hard. And you're going, yeah, okay, I'll praise him in Exodus 15. I'll praise him when I see the miraculous work of God. But I can't right now until I see God move. Let me, let me say this to you as lovingly as I can. If you've seen God move in the past, how foolish, foolish is it to believe that you won't see God move in the future? Who he's been is who he's going to be. If you've seen the power of God before, you'll see it again. And so it's the miracles you've already seen that compel you to believe in what you're standing against right now. In fact, this is exactly where the passage goes. In Exodus 15, you have this moment now where he's been celebrating the goodness of God. But in, in verse 13 to 18, you start seeing him praise God for something that hadn't happened yet. Keep on reading. Exodus 15, picking up in verse 13. He says, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are as still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Now here's, here's our hardest part about reading the Bible. If we're not careful, we, we get a little um, discombobulated with the timeline of how things are happening. And so you read that and you don't realize what's wrong with it. So let me explain to you what's wrong with it. It's not accurate. He says the, the, the nation of the inhabitants of Philistia are trembling right now. The leaders of Edom and Moab, they're seized with fear. They're going to watch us pass by because they're afraid of us. But the truth is, that actually doesn't happen for another 40 to 50 years. Let, let me remind you historically where we are. They have just crossed through the Red Sea. Egypt is done. For their, this is their first moment of genuine freedom. And they're about to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of disobedience. So that entire generation dies out and there's a new one. Then they got to enter into the promised land and start conquering the enemies. So it's 40 to 50 years before they see any of this realized. And actually, if you read your Bible and you make it to the book of Numbers, what you discover is that when they get to Edom, Edom is not trembling with fear. In fact, they're bucking their chest out against them saying, hey, I'm not letting you pass through my land. Same thing with Moab. Moab isn't afraid of them. Fear hadn't seized them. They're going, no, we're not letting you pass through our land. It wasn't until after God whips their tail that finally fear seizes them and they tremble with fear. So where does Moses get off declaring 40 to 50 years before this stuff happens as if it's already taken place? He, he doesn't say it in the future. He says it in the past. He says they are right now. Fear has already seized them. They are already trembling. But it's not true for another 50 years. So is Moses lying? I mean, what, what's going on here? Listen, the answer to this question is so incredibly important for you to understand how faith works. This is what Moses is doing. Moses is looking at his future through God's eyes, not his own. 
And the future, through God's eyes, determines how he views the present. He knows what is going to happen. He is certain of it to the point that he declares a future event with the certainty of a past. And I've talked to you about this before. Those of you who come to Fielder, I call it a prophetic past tense verb. It's a very important thing. This is why sometimes reading the prophets is so confusing because they talk about the future and they talk about the past and they talk about the future. They did what was called the prophetic past tense. I speak of a future event with such certainty that I can speak about it as if it's already happened. One of the main things you could think about was to say, Christ has returned, and I'm saying a future event, one day Jesus Christ will return, and I'm so certain of it, I can declare it as if it's already done. That's a prophetic past tense. He's saying, I know who my God is, and he has made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and my God never lies, and therefore, they are already trembling. They are already overcome because my God is going to get us into that land. It's his faith in who his God is, the greatness of his God, that would allow him to declare this as if it's already done. Now, okay, Jason, I understand you, but why does that matter? Let me tell you why it matters. You, you may want to write this down. Here's what Moses is teaching us. You've got to fix your eyes not on your circumstances, but on the God who's in control of your circumstances. That's what you've got to remember constantly. Fix your eyes, not on your circumstances, not on your present, not on all the things that are going on. Fix your eyes on the God who's in control of them. Because when you have your eyes fixed on him, you remember there's nothing impossible for him. He was faithful in your past. He'll be faithful in your future. It's as good as done. All you got to do is trust him. And here's what I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything I've said today, this one thing I want you to hear. If Moses could do that, How much more should we as the people of God do it? Because we've seen something so much greater than Moses ever saw. You you know the story of Exodus is just a foreshadowing of what's going to come in Christ, right? I I hope you know that. It's it's just a, a, a picture, a type of it. But Christ is so much greater than what Moses saw with his eyes. Let me tell you about what Moses saw. Moses saw God destroy an Egyptian army. We have seen Christ destroy the armies of hell. Let me go ahead and tell you, that one's a bit, that's a bit bigger than the other one. Moses saw God liberate a people from a, a temporary slaveholder in Egypt. We have seen God liberate us from eternal slavery to a man named Satan. We've seen something greater. But let me tell you this, best part of all is how Christ did it in the New Testament versus what Moses saw in the Old Testament. Because Christ did something unthinkable. Jesus became Egypt so you and I could become Israel. Here's what I want you to understand. There are only two camps in this world. There's the camp of Egypt and there's the camp of God's people. And you, you, oftentimes, I do the same thing. I want to read myself into the camp of God's people as if I'm born into it. We're not born into the nation of Israel. We're not born into the camp of Israel. We have to be grafted into it. That comes by faith. Let me tell you what we're born into. We're born into the camp of Egypt. Because let me tell you about the camp of Egypt. The camp of Egypt are the rebels. They're the ones who say, we refuse to follow Yahweh God. We turn our back on him. We're going to destroy his people. Let me tell you what the word of God says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're the rebels. We're the camp of Egypt. We deserve the wrath of God, not the pathway through the sea. And Jesus comes And he's the only righteous one, the only one who has the right to go through the sea, to be the people of God. And he says, no, daddy, make me Egypt. 
Put your waters upon me. Drown me. Kill me. Let them go free. I'll be Egypt. Let them be Israel. We've seen something so much greater than Moses ever saw. And if we've seen something this great, all we can do is praise him because he is worthy of our praise. Did you know Did you know that one day the song of Moses is going to be sung again? Did you know that? And it's interesting. It's actually going to happen on a seashore, just like it did in Exodus 15. It's going to happen right after a massive defeat of an enemy. But in this particular time, the song of Moses is going to be joined together with the song of the Lamb. Keep your place in Exodus 15. I, I want to jump over to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 15. And I want to read verses 2 through 4. Let me go ahead and tell you, I'm going to get excited because there's some truth in here. Exodus, Revelation chapter 15, verse 2. Let me read these three verses for you. Just think about the similarities. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Who is like you, O God, among the nations? No one. All the nations will come one day, every knee, every tongue, will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the God, to the glory of God the Father. And you and I get to join the song of Moses and of the Lamb this very morning. We get to declare the goodness of our God right here, right now. We get to practice the prophetic past tense verb right here, right now. We know there's coming a day when the people of God will stand on the seashore seeing the beast and his number destroyed. We'll have our harps of God and we'll be declaring the song of Moses. It's a future event, but we can declare it as it's good as done. We can sing of his victory because we know it's done. It's that certain. And that's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you this morning to let Miriam boss you around a little bit. Because she's about to make a command to us that I want us to take seriously as we finish up the passage. I want you to go back to Exodus 15. And I want you to read verses 19 through 21. This is the last part of the scripture we're going to read. And I want you to listen to Miriam, Miriam's command to the people of God. So it starts off in verse 19, reminding us what happened. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. That's the command we're going to put into practice today. We're going to finish this message early for a reason. I want to give you a chance to sing to the Lord. But listen, I don't want you to sing. I don't want you to golf clap. God, I don't want you to do this subtly. I don't want you to be all dignified where you are right now. I'd prefer if you go ahead and just check your dignity at the door. The greatness of our God determines the magnitude of our celebration. If you believe in a God who has redeemed you from the pit of hell, I don't know how much bigger it gets than that. You don't get to golf clap a God who redeems you from the pit of hell. You sing to him until you go hoarse. A God who is glorious, a decorated warrior, a mighty hero who is fighting your battles. All you can do is praise him. 
But it's time for us to praise him. It's time for us to let go and be free to do that. And so I'm, I'm going to invite the band out here, and they're going to sing over us, and we're going to join them in this song. But before we do, though, there, there are a couple things that you need to do to get your heart ready. Because there are some of you, you can't sing right now because there are things that are plaguing you that you need to deal with first. Here's the first thing. There are some of you, like I mentioned before, you feel like you're that person. Here's the Red Sea, the, arm, the army of Egypt's coming, and you're pinned, and you're overwhelmed, and you feel trapped, and you don't know what to do. Before you start singing to the Lord, let me ask you to do something else. Let me ask you to fear not, to stand firm, and to see the salvation of your God. He's going to fight your battles. You just got to put the battles back in his hands. You're going, Jason, I want to do that. How do I do that? It's called prayer. Prayer is the means by which you put the battle back into the hands of Almighty God. In a moment, you're going to see a prayer team who's going to be down front, the people with lanyards or have staff name tags on them, and we're going to be here to receive you. And our job is singular. We're going to take that battle that you're facing, and we're going to lift it up to Almighty God to put it back in his hands. You may need that today before you sing to him. We're going to have a few songs that we're going to get to worship with. So you have time to come. Even if it queues up, you come. You put that battle back in the Lord's hands. So that's some of you. We need to do that. But there is a second group of you. And this is even more important. There's a group of you in here that you're in grave danger of singing of a victory that you haven't yet claimed. Let me be real clear here what I said earlier. You were not born into the nation of Israel. You were born into the nation of Egypt. You have to claim by faith this new nation. You have to say, I, I recognize my rebellion. I've deserved Egypt because I've rebelled against you. I've sinned against you, Almighty God. Forgive me, Jesus. But then you claim what Christ did by faith. You say, Jesus, I receive what you've done. I take your righteousness. You take my Egypt. And I now let you be the master of my life. And then you do what the nation of Israel did. You pass through the water. That act of baptism, you see that baptistry up here on the stage, it's there to give you an opportunity to pass through the water. If you get to the New Testament and you read about this moment, it couples baptism with this Exodus event. And it says, whenever you enter into the water, you start like the nation of Israel. They were slaves on one side, they passed through the waters, and they were now free. All their fears were done away with. Look, so that water, that water can't save you. But it's a symbol of faith in a God who can. And there are some of you who need to say, I'm tired of being afraid. I'm tired of this old identity. I'm tired of being a slave to the same sins and the same problems and destruction. I'm ready for a fresh start. I'm ready to be new. And Jesus says, I'll give it to you. You just gotta come to me and let me take you through the waters. You can go in, you can die the Egyptian. You can come up the people of God and you can be brand spanking new today. But you gotta take a step of faith. That looks like you just coming down to talk with one of us down front to say, I'm ready. I'm ready to pass through the waters. I'm ready to discover my faith in Jesus. I'm ready to be made new. And then we'll take you and we'll make sure you understand the gospel because we're not going to baptize anybody who doesn't understand the gospel. And once we've had a chance to counsel with you, if, if you feel like you're ready, you're ready to declare your belief in the gospel of Jesus, you'll have time to change into shorts and a t-shirt that says, Jesus in my place. And you'll have a chance before you leave this building today to pass through the waters by faith. That's why we keep this baptistry up here because we know there are always people who are ready and we want to be ready for you. So I want to invite you to stand up right now. I'm going to invite those part of the prayer team to come down front and spread out. And here's what I'm asking you. Every single one of you right now is going to respond in one of four ways this morning. Every single one of you. 
either you're going to come forward because you need prayer and you're going to put the battle back into the Lord's hands and let him fight for you. Or you're going to come down and say, I'm ready for a brand new life. I'm ready. I'm tired of being Egypt. I'm ready to be God's people. And you're going to confess your sin. You're going to put your faith in Christ. And we're going to get you ready to declare that moment of passing through the waters by faith through baptism, whether it's this Sunday or another Sunday. That'd be one of you two. Or number three, you're going to sing your little brains out because you have a God who is greater than any soccer goal you've ever seen, any home run, any Taylor Swift concert, anything else. You have a God who is greater than all of those things. And you're going to worship him the way he should be worshiped. Or number four, you're going to stand there in defiant disbelief, refusing to respond to Almighty God. Every one of you in here will do one of those four things. Don't be number four. Don't be defiant and disbelieving. If you need prayer, you come be prayed over. If you need to receive the gospel, come receive the gospel. If you just need to worship your God, worship your God. We'll have time for you. You respond as you need to. Now's the time.